Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are so glad that you are listening today. As God's people, we are concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to the podcast to always get the next episode. Sometimes we need a reminder of the restorative power of Jesus Christ. And that is what we find in our text today in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Our story is full of the profound authority of Jesus. Jesus comes face to face with a man possessed by many demons. Jesus is unflinching in his authority. He commands the demons to leave. He brings sanity and life back to the man. Jesus is sufficient. He was sufficient for this possessed man, and he is sufficient for you and me. Will you let Jesus bring his authority into your life and set you free from whatever you are bound to? Because we all need liberating, first from our sin, and then from ourselves. Perhaps you have a demon, literal or figurative, that haunts you and you're ashamed of. I need you to hear this today. Jesus cares about you, and you specifically. You are worth the effort and the battle to Jesus. Jesus desires to renew you, setting you free from whatever possesses you, and filling you with real life. Admittedly, in our story today is a story about demon possession, a story about, well, this topic of demon possession might seem foreign to many of us in the West. But the devil is quietly at work, and whether we call it demon possession or something else, many of us are not so much living as much as we are existing as captives. We are captives to sin. We're captives to addiction. We're captives to our culture. And yes, some of us are captives to demons. We can become captives to lies and false promises. And yes, yeah, we can become a captive to the devil. But Jesus can set you free. And as we read the text today, I want you to listen for how important this man is to Jesus. Hear the battle that Jesus fights for the man. Listen for the ways this man is restored. But also beware, our text gives us clues as to roadblocks that can prevent such wonderful restoration. And we'll see those roadblocks in the people of the town, in the demons that were in the man himself. So let's read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Uh, verses 26 through 39, beginning in verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across from the lake, across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. 
A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. And as I said, this is a a story that most of us would think to be strange. How do we relate to a story like this? What can we learn from a story like this? Well, first... This passage tells us that demon possession, as much as it makes us uncomfortable to think about, is very real and something that we need to be aware of. We live in a culture that has gone to sleep about the topic of spiritual warfare, about demon possession. Our movies and culture are full of spiritual, but we might call it spiritual make-believe. The trouble with this is that so many of us perceive that such spiritual conflict is only pretend. It's not real. It's not science, we would say. Daryl Bach, in his commentary on Luke, says this, Our world plays with spiritual forces rather than taking them seriously. Our culture champions the phrase, follow the science. And this is well and good. We should have a system for observing, measuring, and understanding the world around us. But we also need to understand that some things are beyond our ability to see and hear. This is the challenge of spiritual battles. Much of what we see, hear, and observe of a spiritual battle is not easy for us to identify. We mistake it for something else. We come up with some other explanation. But our text today deals with real demon possession and warns us that this is a battle that we too may face. So I want to offer this word of caution. We dare not ignore the demonic. We dare not ignore the demonic, and we dare not fixate on it either. By ignoring the demonic, we leave ourselves wide open to spiritual attack, and that's dangerous. But when we fixate on the devil, we can start to see demons behind every bad event and mistake. If we're not careful, we can think of ourselves simply as spiritual victims of the enemy. And this is not what we are. And certainly the Christian is no victim of Satan. We are to live with the authority of Jesus. Perhaps the most important truth any one of us need to hear about spiritual warfare is this. We do not have the power on our own to be victorious in spiritual battles. We need the authority of Jesus to be victorious. This is true in demonic warfare, but also in every battle over sin that we face. We cannot restore ourselves. We cannot heal ourselves. We cannot breathe new life into ourselves when it comes to these spiritual battles. The power comes from Jesus alone. We need Him. And that's what happened in our story today. The man needed to be set free from legion, and it was only Jesus that could bring him new life again. 
And so this leads us from this first thought that spiritual warfare is very real and something we need to be wary of to a second thought. And it's probably the most powerful way we can relate to the story. And the second thought is this, that we need the restoration that Jesus can give. And that's the painting this picture, this story tells us. Let's look at the man in our story. He is truly in a sad place. His existence is one of terror, horror, and of lifelessness. Here's some of the details in the story that tell us of the man's awful state. Well, first of all, one that we might miss, he's not Jewish, he's a Gentile living in Gentile lands. The region of the Gerasenes is located on the eastern part of Israel, across the Sea of Galilee, and it's predominantly Gentile. It's an area called the Decapolis, which is a Greek word for the ten cities, ten roaring, powerful cities that are opposite, the opposite of Jewish devotion. Thus, this is why there are pigs being raised in the area. Any Gentile would have thought of themselves as an outsider to God, and to the Jewish people. They would think, well, I'm too heathen to be considered holy by them. And so their culture sets them apart. And culture already set this man apart from God. He was born thinking, well, I'm not deserving of the God of the people, of the Jewish people. So he's already a little bit separated. But then when we look at the story itself, beyond just the detail of where the man is, we start seeing other things. We're never given his name. Did you catch that? Ah, one of the quickest ways to demean a person is to deny their name, or worse yet, give them a denigrating name. Have you ever been made fun of by a person being, being called names by them? Even the silliest name can hurt. I can remember, it's just a silly name I was called at one time in middle school. I was in gym class, and there was another student. He's trying to get at me, make me feel upset. And so he looked at my shoes. I had these black high-top tennis shoes on that were kind of thick. And he looked at me and smiled and said, you're clunky shoes. And the rest of gym class, he called me clunky shoes. Never on earth did I ever care about my shoes until that moment. And at that moment, I hated those shoes from then on. And I started to think of myself as maybe clunky or clumsy in sports. What a difference a name can make, especially a hurtful one. And here we have a man where his name is never given. No one ever calls him by name. He's the nameless one. In fact, he's taken on the name of the demons, Legion. Another detail that tells us how far and how awful this man's state is, is that, well, he is demon-possessed. This is all he is to anyone anymore. His identity is he's the possessed guy that lives out in the tombs. Perhaps you have an identity that you're ashamed of or that you do not want. It's amazing the labels that we can put on people and amazing what those labels can do to us when someone gives you the label of failure or coward or dummy Whatever the label is, it can change us. And this man, his label was the possessed one. We often in the Bible just call him the demoniac. The guy who was occupied by legion. But this story tells us that Jesus has a different label for this man and for us. And Jesus' label for us is loved and precious and friend. Some more details to tell us about the man's awful state. Well, he's described as naked. He's described as he no longer lives in a house. It's been a long time since he's been in a house. He lives in a graveyard. 
Essentially, all that makes him human has been taken away. The man might be physically alive, but he stopped living a long time ago. He lives now among the dead, and that's what he wishes to be, is what we're being told by him living among the tombs. The text indicates that this man is battered and bruised and damaged by the efforts of the demons. They may give him super strength to break the chains of the townspeople when they try to capture him, but these broken chains are a bondage, because each time he breaks those chains, he goes back not to be amongst his family and friends in town, but to go back to the graveyard. I guarantee you, every time he broke those chains, he was left bruised and bloodied. And this text tells us that this man is controlled by these demons. They use his bodies in ways that he does not have a say in. When the man first encounters Jesus, we're told that he screams out at the top of his voice. But he speaks the thoughts of the demons. This is no cry for help, but the demons screaming out in defiance. He's not in control of himself. And so, wow, what a picture that we get. A man who's lost his name lost his identity, lost his community, lost his health, lost his sanity, has no control over his body. He lives in terror over what these demons will do next. He lives in a graveyard. He lives for death. He is powerless to escape. What a picture. And if we're truthful, each of us are this man. If not demon-possessed, we're possessed by sin. And we are powerless to escape on our own. We need Jesus just like this man needs Jesus. Jesus cares about this man deeply and wants to restore him. The extremeness of this story might cause us to miss a simple detail. I need you to hear this. Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, entered the land of the Gerasenes, and battled Legion to rescue just This man and this man alone. I want you to hear again. When you look at the story and look at the details, Jesus leaves the Jewish area, sails across the Sea of Galilee, gets off the boat, sets this man free, tells him to proclaim what God has done, and then Jesus gets back on the boat and leaves. He doesn't minister to anyone else. All of this story is for one person. Let me tell you, before Jesus arrived, this man believed he was worthless. You might say, well, the text doesn't tell us this. I guarantee you, he felt he was worthless. He felt that he was a lost cause, and everyone else around him had the same opinion. But Jesus cared about him, and the journey and the battle were worth it for one man alone. And Jesus feels the same way about you. You and you alone are enough for Jesus to do the work of restoration and healing. You are precious, deeply precious. You are not to be discarded, but to be rescued. Charles Swindoll tells this story. I'll just read it to you here. He writes, A few years ago, an angry man rushed in through the Rix Museum in Amsterdam until he reached Rembrandt's famous painting, Night Watch. Then he took out a knife and he slashed it repeatedly before he could be stopped. A short time later, a distraught hostile man slipped into St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome with a hammer and began to smash Michelangelo's beautiful sculpture of the Pieta. Two cherished works of art were severely damaged. But what did the officials do? Throw them out and forget about them? They're ruined. 
absolutely not. Using the best expert who worked with the utmost care and precision, they made every effort to restore the treasures. By His sovereign grace, God can bring good out of our failures and even out of our sins. J. Stuart Holden tells of an old Scottish mansion close to where he had his little summer home. The walls of one room were filled with the sketches made by distinguished artists. The practice began after a pitcher of soda water was accidentally spilled on a freshly decorated wall and left an unsightly stain. At the time, a noted artist, Lord Landseer, was a guest in the house. One day when the family went out to the moors, he stayed behind. With a few masterful strokes of a piece of charcoal, the ugly spot became the outline of a beautiful waterfall bordered by trees and wildlife. He turned the disfigured wall into one of his most successful depictions of highland life. In the same way, you are worth the restoration to Jesus. You're worth the effort. You're worth the battle. You're worth the fight. Will you let him restore you, renew you, bring new life into you? I want to take a few moments and look at the way the different characters in our story reacted to Jesus. Because in them, we can see some roadblocks we need to be aware of. And in them, we can see some callings that will be placed upon us when we follow Jesus. The first group of characters I want to draw your attention to are the demons. Perhaps the strangest character or characters in the story, at least for us, as we often overlook such spiritual battles. The demon approaches Jesus just as he steps off uh, off the boat and puts his feet on the shore, and he challenges Jesus. Did you catch this? He acknowledges the authority of Jesus, Son of the Most High, but then he resists him anyway. Even though Jesus commands the demon to come out, the demon waits. He hesitates. He wants to figure out how to wreak some more havoc before he goes. We need to realize that spiritual battles are not easily won. It takes the authority of Jesus. This is no small conflict that Jesus is embarking in here. He asks the demon his name, and we find out it's not one, but many demons afflicting this man. He calls his name Legion. Now, Legion, a legion, was a word used to describe a Roman division. And a Roman division that was a legion had about 6,000 soldiers. A big number. I don't know if there are 6,000 demons in this man, but this indicates the size of the spiritual battle being fought. Now, Jesus might be outnumbered, but he is not overmatched. Whatever you may be struggling with, whatever you may be ashamed of, whatever you may feel captive to, Jesus has the authority and the strength to set you free. You may feel powerless, but he has the authority and the right and the ability. Will you invite him in and let him do so? The other thing we see about the demons is they seem to bargain with Jesus. They want to be sent into the pigs that are nearby, and some for some reason Jesus allows this. And what do the demons do? They wreak havoc. They kill the pigs. We see from edge to edge the destructive power of evil. Whether it's a demon or sin, know that it all results in death and havoc. There is no sin that is not that bad. There is no sin that's, oh, that's not a big deal. (sighs) Let alone to grow. All sin will lead to death. Another group I'd like to draw your attention to are the locals. This is an important group for us to identify for a moment. 
In this category, I'm going to put the caretakers of the pigs. They're locals, right? They, and I'm also going to put in this group those that live in the town and the countryside nearby. Easily, even though we're not told, you can picture people who know the demon-possessed man. They've seen him before. Maybe they've been afraid of him before. Maybe they've tried to capture him before. They knew him also, I would guess, before he was possessed. Maybe there's even family. Certainly there are people that feared him. And they are described the most in the story with fear and a desire for Jesus to leave. That's the description we get of the people from the nearby town. They see the man healed and they say, we want Jesus gone. That description stuns me. These people see the transformation in this man. They had to realize that a miracle just happened and they want nothing to do with it. There are two reasons I can give you. They may not be enough, but these are the ones that I see. These people are are more concerned about possessions than they are and financial loss than they are about the restoration of this man. When you read Mark's version of this story, and you can find it in Mark chapter 5, but if we go to verse 16, we read the account. It says that the, the herdsmen told everybody about how this man was, the demon was cast out of this man, and it says that they told them about the pigs as well. The indication there is that we lost a lot when we lost those pigs. We, we suffered a, a blow there. It was an economic downturn. What it amounts to is they're saying God moved and we lost money. We lost our pigs. What a way to look at the power of God. He moves and we lost something. You know, that's not that uncommon. In Acts chapter 16, there's a similar story. It's 16 verse 16 through 19. I'll read it to you. It's with Paul and Silas, and they have a spiritual battle to fight. It says this, beginning in verse 16, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept doing this for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. And when her owners realized their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They were angry. God moved and they lost money. Sometimes we hesitate at following Jesus because we're afraid that we'll lose something precious to us. But we miss that God, that Jesus, is going to give us life, a life that is far more precious than what we think we're going to lose. There's another reason the town people send Jesus away, and it's because they're afraid of him. They're afraid of his power. And I'd like to point this out. The reality is the people of the nearby town have decided to live with the demon-possessed man. Yeah, he may live in the graveyard. He may be far away most of the time, but they've decided they're going to accept that this is how life is supposed to be. This is normal. They got used to it. They said, this demon-possessed guy, this is just how it is. It's okay. And so they're no longer afraid of his screams, but now they feel fear when God shows up. They've seen God at work, and they'd rather pretend that nothing happened. And I think this reflects our culture and our community today. Spiritual warfare is fierce, but we've gotten so used to it, we can't see the battle for our souls anymore. 
Most people are used to the suffering of sin. So used to it that they'd rather stay with what they know than step into the new life that Jesus offers. We start calling what is bad good. And that's a problem. We're comfortable with it. Do not get so comfortable with the status quo that you become comfortable with sin and evil. I'd like to draw our attention back to that man restored from demon possession. First, he surrendered to Jesus. That's one reaction he has. The demons may have rushed out and, and challenged Jesus, but he, well, he surrendered to Jesus and he was restored. He takes the posture of, of a disciple sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's who he is now, a disciple. And then he takes the action of a disciple. He obeys Jesus. And I'd point out he obeys Jesus even when Jesus asks a man to stay behind and do something the man didn't want to do. And perhaps you find this part of the story troubling. Jesus listens to the man, to the demand of the demons, and he allows them to inhabit the pigs. Jesus listens to the demand of the locals and leaves the area because he frightens them. But Jesus does not give in to the request of the healed man so that he can follow Jesus. Jesus knows that this man's going to have to follow him in another way. He gives him a mission. And so, this following Jesus is going to look different. This man will follow Jesus by proclaiming all that God has done for him to the people of his hometown. This man is going to do some of the hardest missionary work that is humanly possible. He's going to proclaim Jesus to people that know his past and know his story. Uh, they maybe even know why demons possessed him. He's going to talk about Jesus with people who asked Jesus to leave. Next time that you're nervous to share Jesus with a loved one or a neighbor, and you're worried about what will happen, will they reject you? Think of this man. He's nameless. We don't even know why he was in this state of despair, of possession. But we, know that we know that he's important enough for Jesus to save him, and that you are important enough for Jesus to save. And your neighbor and your loved one is also that important to Jesus, too. This man's freedom from spiritual bondage is now the route of freedom for so many others. Nelson Mandela said these words, and I think we can learn a little bit from them. For to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. And I can think of no better way to enhance the freedom of others than to proclaim the liberating, restorative, redeeming power of Jesus into their lives. Will you do this? I want to close our time with a prayer written by William Temple. And it goes like this, so let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imagination, so control our wills, that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated to you. And then use us, we pray, as you will, and always to your glory and the welfare of your people, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Go with Jesus.